everyone and welcome to the Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host Romy Adair and in this podcast we get into the nitty gritty parts and experiences that are often had during the journey to become a professional dancer. Chatting to dancers in training and professional from all around the world creating one safe space that can be shared by many. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined with Stephen McRae. Hey, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited for this conversation, and I'm sure the listeners um, will really enjoy this episode too. So thank you. Um, Let's get straight on into it. So let's start off with how old are you? (laughs) Uh, I'm 36. Mm -hmm. I, I feel so strange saying that number because Mm -hmm. you know I moved to London when I was literally just turned 17 a few weeks before and 17 when you compare it to 36 just it's a lifetime away that's I I just genuinely don't associate with being 36 I yeah I feel like that is not me I still Mm -hmm. feel very much that I'm you know that 18 20 year old um just I guess with a lot more experience now Mm -hmm. No, but that's great because I just, I mean, we can get into that, I guess, but I think in dance and particularly in ballet, people, there is this idea of age that, you know, as you get older, it's, I mean, like I'm only 21 and I think I'm old in ballet, but hearing you say that like makes it feel a little bit better. I'm like, okay, okay, it's going to be fine. Well, thankfully, I I think that people uh, are starting to shift. Mm-hmm their idea of age and what that actually means Mm -hmm. um you know of course what I can do right now at age 36 I can still do everything that I did when I was 21 or whatever Mm -hmm. um if I were maybe 56 I -hmm. probably wouldn't be able to physically do the same thing but who knows what that person might be able to bring to the stage in so many other ways and I think this idea that you hit a certain age and that's it you have to be written off mm-hmm. um that is thankfully being i think relooked mm-hmm. and obviously with developments in mm-hmm. in our health and in medicine and things and i think also just developments in the way that we view the art form mm-hmm. that view of age hopefully can be uh, put aside as a negative whereas in fact yes. you know why can't you treat a dancer like a good wine you know <laughs> yeah no exactly um that's great so and where did you train and like where have you danced and where are you currently dancing so I trained in Sydney Australia yep um I grew up in a motorsport family so nothing to do with the arts particularly Mm -hmm. nothing to do with dance Mm -hmm. um and you know older sister bit of a cliche introduction to dance but I was inspired by her I wanted to go along and join in and so when I asked, the, the dance school was literally five minutes from our house. It was a local school. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that those teachers, I now know, were probably some of the best teachers you could ever have uh, as a young kid. There was this, I don't know, there was just this environment that these kids could do anything. You know, we were free. We were taught um, to do crazy things. You know, I was jumping around, throwing myself around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a jazz class initially and then I was brought up um, into the tap and, and ballet lessons and there was just this real sense of 
adventure really in each class it was you know what can you achieve today what can we all do together you know let's encourage each other okay that person's really strong at that let's all learn from that and oh and you're really good at that so let's all learn from that how did you do that um but obviously at that age I didn't know what what I was being yeah. um, included in you know in that sort of culture that was there it was a very competitive culture though you know mm -hmm. they were there was no um sort of concept of oh well, let's all just celebrate that everyone is good there was none of that it was very much well who got first place and mm -hmm. okay you know there was no hiding around that you know everybody knew that you couldn't all be the winner yeah so I think that competitive um environment was was good and bad obviously you know it, it drives you but then it can also create you know a certain um, environment in time but at a young age I was very lucky to come across those teachers and experience just this genuine passion for dance they loved to teach and that was so evident in all the lessons that I took part in and then they were also incredibly wise as well you know by the time I got to about the age of 12 13 um they agreed that it was time for me to move on they mm -hmm. they wanted me to go to other teachers so the ballet was sort of developing at this point and they took me to uh, a teacher in the city center because I lived an hour away in the western suburbs yeah and um this teacher is called Hilary Kaplan who mm -hmm. is yeah one of the most incredible teachers in the world mm -hmm. and um you know, I didn't know anything about the Royal Ballet or anything like that. Uh, you know, I'd never seen a ballet. So she said to my parents about the age of 13, oh, you know, Stephen could go to the Royal Ballet. Uh, I thought that was in Melbourne or something. I had no concept of <laughs> what she was talking about. I didn't know you could dance professionally. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so Hillary just took me on and you know, I wasn't with her every day for hours and hours and hours. I still went to normal academic school and mm -hmm. went to her twice a week and then spent all day Saturday doing all the different lessons with her. And yeah, I think the same sort of mentality of, well, you can do anything mm -hmm. was what I found with her as well. So that sort of view that I'd grown up with in those early years of dancing with my first teachers carried mm -hmm. through to Hillary. And to her, it was not a ridiculous statement to say well of course you can strive to go to the Royal Ballet why can't you mm. um, and it was just very much that's our goal and we're putting it out there and if we achieve it great if we don't it doesn't matter like mm. no one's going to be laughing at us it's our own goal yeah um, and I loved that and I you know I still believe that that's how she is today and um, so yeah I had her and then she said right it's time to you know, finish off your RED exams. I did mm -hmm. my advanced and my solo seal. And then I did the Gene and that year it happened to be in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And um, I won the gold, which was, you know, the first time I'd ever been on a, you know, international stage okay. wow. mm -hmm. against, you know, foreign kids. And, mm. um, you know, it was a huge moment for me. I hadn't really won much that year in Australia. And, you know, I'd, I'd done a lot of competitions and just never seemed to breakthrough and yeah. get the prizes or anything it was just always oh yeah whatever he's just sort of there in the background and then suddenly on this international stage getting the gold it was mm. it was a nice moment it was sort of just a little um acknowledgement I guess of yeah okay like your mission that you're trying to achieve you know 
you're you're finding your own way to achieve that. It was not mm -hmm. a direct straight route. Yeah. Um, thankfully, that prize money funded my flight then to go to the Prix de Lausanne. Uh, so my, the month later, I went to Lausanne in Switzerland, mm -hmm. and I'd never left. I'd never been to Europe before. Uh, you know, I think it was like 40 degrees in Sydney when I left, and I arrived in Lausanne, and it was probably like minus 10 and snowing, yeah. and uh, every, obviously everything was, you know, in well, most of the competition was in French. Mm -hmm. um, I had no idea what was going on. I'd never been around, you know, a foreign language before. Yeah. Uh, the rake stage, like all these elements that I was just totally out of my depth thinking yeah. what on earth is going on. Mm -hmm. But um, I think going back to, you know, your initial question of your training, I think my training was just so focused on finding a way to mm -hmm. just make something work. It's not going to be perfect, but just, I guess, my teachers focused on giving me a solid grounded technique in multiple styles that I was able to tap into when I needed to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, suddenly finding myself on a rake stage, okay, it was uncomfortable, but just, I guess that mentality of just try and make it work. Like it's not going yeah, yeah. to be like it was when you rehearsed on a flat floor, but just perform and enjoy, um, enjoy that sort of memory of what those first lessons were, which was you were wild, you were free, you just were bouncing around, feeling the music and everything. And um, I think we all can quickly forget yeah. <laughs> those yeah. sort of memories as we get so you know, obsessed with our reflection in the mirror 24 hours a day. And we mm -hmm. just only obviously see the faults all the time. And um, I think, I'll just be forever grateful for those teachers that just kept reinforcing, you know, all the things that were actually really positive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, that's then my training, I, my training then um, completed straight after the pre. I, I I didn't actually go back to Australia after the pre. I flew straight to London the day after the final. Oh my god! <laughs> because we couldn't, we couldn't really afford to go backwards and forwards to Australia. So, uh, Galen Stock, bless her, who's unfortunately passed away now. Um, it was director of the Royal Ballet School at the time, and she was the head of the, the jury at the Prix de Lausanne. Mm -hmm. And so she just said, fly straight to London tomorrow. You'll start at the school tomorrow. And that was it. I never went back to Australia. Mm -hmm. um, that was a whirlwind crash course in how to deal with homesickness and, mm -hmm. you know, all of that sort of yeah. stuff living on the other side of the world that's probably an entire podcast just on that one, <laughs> I one can have, yeah literally <laughs> um but then yeah so I, I joined the school and did just over a year I did a year and a bit um at the Royal Ballet School mm -hmm. to finish off my well I say to finish off my training I don't think you ever stop yeah. learning and training of but course. my my formal mm -hmm. uh, ballet school education was completed then at the Royal Ballet School mm -hmm. so yeah amazing yeah that's so I really something that I really kind of I guess admire is just like how open you were and this is something I try I guess and get out of my listeners and obviously every sorry out of my guests um especially when it comes to things like I don't know financing stuff like most people I don't know I feel like there's almost an expectation that every single dancer can I guess just afford to fly over to America to do the YAGP or can just yeah. go and do the Pridlazan and 
people often forget that everyone's coming from a different economic background. And I really appreciate you just like saying that because I know there'll be listeners and I relate to that. Um, Definitely. A lot. I mean, so, I can, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you now that um, at age, so when I was about age nine, nearly 10, the, the small dance school that I went to mm-hmm. um, had com- had sort of taken part in a big dance competition in Australia yeah. and the top prize for like a kid from that school was to fly to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a big competition in Las Vegas and then they linked it in with like performing in Disneyland and stuff like this. Okay. So my dance school, a girl in my school won that competition. So the dance school thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if we go as a group? Well, obviously virtually every kid in my area, and I'm saying it's an hour out of Sydney, so it's not a wealthy area. Virtually every family could not afford <laughs> to do that. And we all came from families where there were siblings as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you could just splash out money on one child. Yeah. Um, so all the parents agreed like, yes, this would be a wonderful thing. We now need to fundraise. So us, you know, all of us kids at a very young age learned how to fundraise. So we Mm -hmm. had to take part in, you know, all these sausage sizzles. Sausage sizzles, you love it, yes. All of that, um, all these chocolate drives, like selling Uh to friends and family. Then our tap teacher actually took us down to Sydney Harbour and we took turns busking. I love it. (laughs) Like nine and 10 year old kids learning all these different skills that... Mm -hmm. You know, I think parents and teachers would probably frown now if you said, actually, I want to take the kids and do this. Mm. They would think, what are you doing? But it was such an incredible skill, life skill to learn. Mm. And you know what? We all raised the money. And when we, as 10-year-olds, sat on that plane flying to America, we knew that we had contributed and earned that seat on that plane. And that for me was a life lesson right there. I didn't take it for granted for one second. Um, and it was very much the same going to the Prix de Lausanne. I knew that that prize that I had won um, uh, uh, you know, with the Gene was the reason why I was sat on that plane. And, um, but then the pressure was just magnified because I knew then that if I didn't get a particular prize at the Prix de Lausanne, I would be on that return flight. So, you know, unfortunately it meant that my my mum was with me in Lausanne, mm-hmm. but you know, it was so much stress and pressure for her that she had to have some medical attention while we were there. And I honestly, I just don't think she's ever really recovered fully okay. from that. And that's mm-hmm. what, nearly 20 years ago now. So um, that's, I feel like that's just been a hell of a lot to, mm-hmm sort of process myself I you know my parents are so incredibly proud they would never for one second um try and take any of that away but it's uh yeah the 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 world of you know money and finance it does put pressure on both sides the parents and the student and um anybody listening to this who is relating to any of the things that I'm saying there are ways around it you know yeah. money is not the barrier um, that will stop you entering this world it's not it's absolutely not so um just you know yeah. speak to people mm-hmm. find a way there are ways around it we don't all come from yeah. you know very fortunate silver spoon backgrounds <laughs> 
exactly um yeah so i want to finish the quick fire round and then we'll i do yeah. like we'll keep sorry <laughs> no, don't I'm, worry Derek. I'm, I'm slowing your I'm, quick fire don't you worry i'm i'm enjoying the i'm enjoying <laughs> the stories um what is your favorite dancewear brand oh god that's <laughs> like impossible because you know i wear shoes of that one or tights of that one or mm. you know i like even whatever it is um yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's virtually impossible it's just hard. to pinpoint one down. I'm so sorry. I don't want to upset No, don't you anybody. worry. <laughs> Do you have a particular, like, most worn item? Like, um, whether it be a tights or, like, I don't know, like, what's your... Because I usually ask, like, oh, what someone's favourite leotard is. So I'm intrigued yeah. to, like, if you have a favourite, like, unitard or... Well, before I snapped my Achilles and went on this mm -hmm. whole rebuilding journey yeah. i was so self-conscious all the time of my body that i would have you know a leg warmer on that foot to cover that foot or i'd have a leg warmer up that leg because i didn't like the shape of that leg or i was always covering up something or trying to enhance the look of something with the clothing yep and relatable <laughs> so exhausting it's so exhausting like thinking well if i put that leg warmer over that foot then i'm a better dancer and it's just the most ridiculous thing in the world. So when I was coming back mm -hmm. um, and I had to do my very first bar after my Achilles had been reconstructed, mm -hmm. I just promised myself that I was going to stand there in white tights, no leg warmers, nothing. This, I just had like, you know, uh, whatever stock standard shoe came off the shelf. It was literally yeah. like just a, a beige flat shoe. Yeah. And um, and I just stood there and I thought, well, this is who I am. This is mm -hmm. my body. A leg warmer is not going to change. Yeah. change my body. So I might as well just start to look in the mirror and accept that this yeah. is who I am. And it was so, I don't know, I felt really empowered by it, I have to mm -hmm. say, that I wasn't hiding behind these items of clothing. Uh, the biggest test was that I had to do a full call, so a full rehearsal yes. of Romeo and Juliet, which was the ballet I was making my return to. Yeah. And I had to do a full rehearsal in front of the whole company. And the mm -hmm. whole company had not seen me dance since I'd snapped my Achilles. I didn't know if I could get through the ballet at this stage because it was mm -hmm. still like on a knife edge, whether <laughs> I'm going to do it or not. Yep. And I did the full mm -hmm. call in these white tights with no leg warmers just a white vest on like I literally just stood there like I have nothing to hide if you don't like it there's the door go watch <laughs> someone else <laughs> and you know what it was just so um, I don't know it just felt like it was so, such an uplifting moment for me because it was a realization that I'd spent my whole career up until that point so obsessed with well that foot isn't good and that leg isn't good and the shape of this isn't good that I was just forgetting the whole point of what dance is and mm -hmm. dance is the whole movement and what you're conveying. It's not if you've got <laughs> the most perfect physique in the world. Yeah. I, I really love hearing like your, that side of the story because I had someone on who was in that room when oh, during that, um, like one <laughs> of the students from the Royal Valley School and it was so like, just it was so nice to hear I don't know just how I guess like inspiring it was for the younger generation to kind of hear that and then hear you and kind of some of the thoughts that might have been surrounding yeah. 
that return because oh it is God, a I big was thing. So, <laughs> I was so vulnerable and yeah. I felt so exposed and um, yeah, it was it was such a roller coaster that first day back in the studio, but yeah. um, kind of nice that there were the next generation sat in the room. Yeah. I hope that it inspired them that, you know what, unless we change the culture of dance, these big injuries are just going to keep happening. They're going to continue happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hope they saw it as well, if and when it does happen to me, I too mm -hmm. have, you know, that possibility of returning Mm -hmm. um, whereas even a decade ago, my kind of injury, the extent that I did it, um, it would have been pretty much a no-go zone. So okay. um, mm -hmm. I hope that that's what they all came away with that, okay, actually we can do this if something yeah. like that does happen. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and let's, your favorite choreography that you've either learned or performed Ooh. or not performed. Um, I mean, I'm a real sucker for Sir Kenneth McMillan's Romeo, Myling, yeah, and on. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker. I just love his ballets. I love yeah. everything about them. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the the technical challenge of Ashton's work. Yeah, a ballet like Rhapsody, for example, mm -hmm. it was done on Marishnikov and Leslie Collier, and I don't know, I think Ashton just, he seemed to use such a wide vocabulary of classical technique. You know, there are steps in his ballets that I come across and you forget, you go, oh my God, I haven't done that step, step since like, you know, my advanced one R.E.D. exam <laughs> when I was- Oh, yeah. And he just used the whole vocabulary. Mm -hmm. He didn't just use like one or two steps that he liked. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, people like Wayne McGregor and Wilden, they're mm -hmm. just, I love being in the studio with them because they challenge you in just a different way. You know, Wilden and Macmillan couldn't work any more different if they tried. Yeah. Uh, but I would jump into the studio tomorrow with both of them because mm -hmm. they just they just challenge you and bring out something in you. Um, and that's what we're there to do. That's what we want. We want to keep exploring, don't we? <laughs> yeah exactly that's so yeah it's i love hearing what everyone's like different like favorite choreography or choreographers what they're working with because yeah. it's also, also different um and last of the little quick fire round is what is your favorite food <laughs> um i actually just cooked my children some we at their request uh, steak and chips <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> um they yeah i i've as my workload has increased again recently, mm -hmm. my body has just been craving so many different things. And mm -hmm. um, I've really learned over the past, you know, particularly the last year to really listen to what my body is needing and give it what it needs rather than just thinking you need this, you need this, you need that. Mm -hmm. uh, just listening to what my body was craving. So um, yeah, I mean, I love a steak. I'm sorry to all the vegans listening. I do, I love it. Um, I'm very extreme though, you know, I love, you know, beautiful sushi. I love a McDonald's. Um, I'm happy with, you know, a piece of toast, you know, I'm so extreme with my food that I, um, I try and I'm trying now to live by my wife's 
uh, late great grandfather, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, he passed away at the age of like 99 and something. Mm-hmm. And he just always lived by everything in moderation. You know, don't stop yourself from having anything, but don't overdo anything. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot to be said in that. We all get so obsessed with this and that and doing all that what we think is the right thing. And I've got mm-hmm. to cut this out and cut that out. And mm-hmm. um, that for me personally, that just doesn't work. If as soon as I cut out something, I want it more. So yeah. <laughs> um, just try and be a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. grounded, I guess, with my view on what I eat. Yeah. No, I love that. And I'd be intrigued to kind of, I guess, pick more about how maybe your relationship with food may have changed around your injury. Because I'm sure it has. And I know there's been a lot of like growth mentally for you. Um, And yeah, we'll talk about that. But I want to go back and kind of unpick maybe any challenges that were like, I guess, happened or during your earlier training, whether that be like, physical challenges mental challenges around yeah when you were in Australia um and yeah 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 okay um so well this one probably just make people laugh in this day and age but there was such an issue with the color of my hair you know I am full-on ginger I'm Mm -hmm. right you know boom (laughs) flame and there was such an issue with it that people, when I arrived in London, trying to get me to change the color of it, to dye it, make oh. it more blonde, or let's go like more brown or, and it was becoming like a real issue for me. I, I thought, why is this suddenly a problem? Like my teachers in Australia never even mentioned it. They mm-hmm. loved it. It was more of a celebration that, mm-hmm. well, you're so easy to spot, like you stand out. <laughs> And um, that was not the case when I first arrived in London. It was a real issue. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the chair and they're trying all these different colors on me. Oh and actually, the, the gentleman who was sort of running, you know, the hair and makeup at the time, at the opera house finally just said to me, Stephen, stop listening to all these people. Like your hair is beautiful the way you are. That is who you are. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Like just embrace that. And so I did actually listen to him and I thought, yeah, actually you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this will sound, it just sounds probably so pathetic now when I'm saying it out loud, but it was really affecting me. It obviously just made me feel like I didn't fit in and I was mm. obviously the odd one out. And then it wasn't until somebody said, be the odd one out. That's mm-hmm. great that I actually embraced that and was like, yeah, okay, um, I'll go along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, physically, you know, I was just always told, you're so small, you're so small, you're so small. Mm. Yeah, I'm not six foot five. I don't, <laughs> I don't look like the Disney prince. Mm. Um, does that mean I can't do those roles? And that was sort of the question I had to keep asking and reinforcing when I had yeah. just joined the company. Um, because, you know, like any big institute, it's easier, I guess, to put people in a box and say, oh, they are that kind of dancer. They mm-hmm. are that kind of dancer. They're going to have that kind of career and that person will have that kind of career. And I guess I just wasn't willing to accept that I'd moved to the other side of the world alone. I, was, mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody here. I didn't know a soul. Um, why would I give up everything I know in Australia and my family and support and all that? to accept that someone else is going to decide what kind of career I have. Mm 
-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't happy with that. I wasn't willing to accept that. Um, so, you know, it took a fair bit of maybe convincing, I guess you could say, to mm -hmm. to have those discussions of, well, tell me why I can't be a prince. Like, yeah. can't a prince look like me? I'm mm -hmm. sure there are princes in the world that look like me or look like the next person or the next person. Like, we don't mm -hmm. all have to look the same. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my height was very quickly um that was removed as an issue quite quickly i i love to partner um mm -hmm. i love doing you know being in the studio with the ballerina and, and partnering i would do it all day if i could mm -hmm. um so i think that issue of height got swept away very quickly yeah and at the end of the day yeah if if you've got a ballerina that matches you then mm -hmm. what's, what's the, the problem yeah, if ballerina exactly. is taller than you is that a problem? Like mm -hmm. every partnership in the world, you don't marry somebody just because, you know, the woman is shorter than you or the man yeah. is taller or your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever is shorter or taller. So exactly. why does that have to be an issue on stage? So yeah. um, again, that was just like a few little mm -hmm. barriers that I had to, you know, I guess knock down a little yeah. bit. Um, and then, you know, I think the physical issues have been, um lately more of a problem when I was younger physically it wasn't really a problem I was like crazy man doing every ballet every night <laughs> dancing with every ballerina and flying around everywhere and you know if anybody was injured I'd happily just step in and pick up the show and do crazy schedule at one point I was doing nine ballets at the same time because we were doing a number of triple bills and full lengths and nine, nine. <laughs> and um Oh my God. I, I hit the wall. Um, I, you know, I, I burnt out. I, mm -hmm. We were in Brazil performing and um, there was something really wrong with me. And I saw a doctor while I was in Brazil and the doctor just simply said, you have clinical exhaustion. <laughs> this oh is God. clinical exhaustion, like what you yeah. have. Um, mm -hmm. And I still didn't listen to that. You know, I just kept performing with this empty tank and um yeah I, I just didn't listen to this medical advice and just did whatever I had to do you know eat a bag of Haribo just to give me that little rush like no I'm fine I'm fine I'm still fine living off a can of coke and a Mars bar like I mean I just don't even know how I didn't break sooner and then you know obviously I was very lucky to become a father anyone who maybe is listening to this who is a parent knows that as soon as you become a parent, you no longer sleep. And uh, the first thing that uh, any scientist would tell you is that recovery is the most important thing in the world uh, mm -hmm. if you're an athlete and you know, sleep is the best way to recover. And when that is taken away from what I was already an empty tank, I was you know, skinny as a rake having, I had the worst diet in the world, um, but you took away that sleep element and then very soon after the cracks started to appear mm. and uh yeah the body and the the mental strength as well started to crack as well um you know there's a reason why you know sleep deprivation and is is a form of torture in you know history mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah Eventually, my Achilles started to cause me quite a bit of trouble. Um, I was doing, 
you know, still a lot of performing. We had two children at that point. Um, you know, I remember when my son was born and then literally the day after I was back in the opera house doing, pardon me, the opening night of a new ballet and all this sort of stuff. And obviously I hadn't slept for however many days while my wife was in labor and giving birth and all that. And just things like that, that I look back on with, you know, in hindsight, it was just madness, mm -hmm. dangerous, pure, pure madness to even think that you would get through a situation like that and not have the knock on effects. And obviously mm -hmm. the knock on effects were that my body started to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the challenges, I think, going back to your question, you know, there were physical things, um, you know, with the hair and the height and all that, that seemed to be an issue, which realistically were not an issue whatsoever. You know, mm. If I was six foot five, I probably wouldn't have been able to move the way that I was making a career out of. So um, yeah, I think anybody listening to this, there's room in this world for all of us <laughs> and uh, whatever you've got to offer is what you've got to offer. You know, you, you don't need to fit into a box like, like people make you believe you need to. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, were there many, did you find it difficult, I guess, moving from Australia and like adjusting to the UK, <laughs> especially, you know, without your family Um and I don't know, like, did you feel that coming out of the pre-Lausanne, I know you talked a bit about having the pressures because, you know, a lot, I guess, maybe, yeah, you know, you'd sacrifice a lot to be in the position that you were. Um, but then when you went to the Royal Valley School, that, I don't know, that how did you cope with those sort of pressures and the fact that you were on this other side of the world, that it's a different culture, different weather? life's very different <laughs> um yeah i mean it was literally sink or swim you know yeah. i was just thrown in the deep end but of course although i was very low mm -hmm. i felt very low mentally at okay. that point i guess i felt guilty to be that way because yeah. i was in the most privileged position in the world. You know, I just mm -hmm. won the Prix de Lausanne with a full scholarship to the Royal Ballet School. Yeah. What's he got to be upset about? But yeah. the reality was I was 17 years old with no support mm -hmm. whatsoever. You know, I was just a kid by myself on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter what you've won. Mm -hmm. It's how you are on a day-to-day -day basis as a person. And I struggled. I really, really struggled. I was lucky mm -hmm. to meet wonderful people in my year who are still to this day some of my closest friends you know they're basically like family now um but that doesn't you know it still didn't make it okay mm -hmm. you know it helped on those days where i was really low or whatever yeah. but you know every morning i would wake up and my my suitcase was on top of the wardrobe and that would be the first thing I would see every morning when I'd open my eyes, I would see this ward, uh, this suitcase mm -hmm. and think I could just get on the tube and go straight to Heathrow and just get on the next plane and just mm -hmm. go home. Why don't you just go home? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? What is this for? What, mm -hmm. Really, what is this for? Mm -hmm. And then um, the very first teacher I ever had, it was her on the phone that would say, 
because there was no Skype or anything at this point, you know, that's mm -hmm. showing my age. Mm -hmm. um, and she would just say, give it three months, we'll have another conversation again. If you still feel the same, let's see. And of course, each sort of milestone, oh, I've done three months, oh, I've done six months, oh, I've done a year. Mm -hmm. It sort of passed and I guess it, it just proved to me how much I really wanted to dance. Mm -hmm. And I, I've had to sort of struggle with this in my mind over the years with the fact that I was willing to feel that low and to put my family second mm -hmm. behind my passion for my career. Mm -hmm. And I've really struggled to, to process that because that to me sounds like a monster, but it's not, it's mm -hmm. not. It's just the fact that I was so passionate about that profession mm -hmm. and what I wanted to try and achieve, I knew I was in the right place to do that. Yeah. And so, I don't know, you don't, you don't ever know what's around the corner. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just always had that mentality of I have to absolutely get everything I can out of this situation right now. Mm -hmm. I know that home is there. Yeah. And that was the way I sort of compartmentalized it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is where you are now. Get the most out of this situation mm -hmm. um, rather than just going back home and thinking, hmm, if I just stuck it out a bit longer. Yeah. Um, of course you can go the other extreme and you're just constantly waiting, 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 waiting. And then you have to say, you know what, <laughs> I'm done waiting now. Yeah. Um, but at that point I knew um, that there was no chance I was going to give any of that up, no matter how low I felt. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really interesting. And I think a lot of the listeners will kind of relate to that, especially dancers that have either moved country or just generally moved away from home. Yeah. at a young age and kind of pushed through their own thoughts yeah. I guess for for ballet um and, and my, because they want it so much my wife went to White Lodge age mm -hmm. 11 and yes she's from England but she's five hour drive away yeah. and I can't even process how she yeah through that because again there was no such thing as a smartphone there was no mm -hmm you know, I, oh, let's just FaceTime mum or dad quickly so that we can see them. There was none of yeah. that. It was line up at the phone and, you know, if time's up, time's up. Like you don't get to speak to your parent and you don't see them for six weeks at a time or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I, I asked her the same question, like surely there must've been points where you wanted to go home. And she said, mm -hmm. of course, like her parents would say, we'll just come and get you now. Mm -hmm. But she'd be in tears saying, no, I'm going to stay. Mm -hmm. I will stay. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, I think it's that addiction to your passion that, yeah. you know, you Keeps clearly you want, yeah, you clearly really want to do it because you mm -hmm. wouldn't put up with all of that if mm -hmm. you didn't love it. Yeah, I often think the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, mm, am I a bit too addicted to trying to do this? Like, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's an interesting one and finding that balance definitely takes time as I'm sure, yeah. like, yeah. And I'm, I can't sit here and preach because I feel like my work-life balance was so unbalanced. Mm -hmm. And then when we started to have children, that was a huge wake up call of, okay, I need to reassess 
how much of my whole soul and being yeah. I'm giving to this profession. Yeah. Um, and I guess obviously it was just the realization that there is a little human here that <laughs> is far more important than anything mm. on this planet. And yeah. um, that was, yeah, a, a realization. But you still, you just, you get sucked into it though. Mm -hmm. You get, you get sucked into it. Yeah. It's good, it's good and bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of going on to, I guess, what, when the breaking point happened, we, I know like we briefly talked about the build up to, and, you know, clinical exhaustion, as you said, mm. how did it feel dancing at that point? Kind of just like, I mean, like the mental state of just being like yeah so it was it was quite a, a scary moment to be honest because it was a prolonged period of time as well it wasn't yes. just a one month of uh, one month this yeah. went on for a few seasons okay and i would you know i would be dancing with the top ballerinas in the world dancing all the rep that mm -hmm. i had dreamt of doing doing all yeah. these cinema relays around the world all this sort of stuff mm -hmm. and I would get back to the dressing room and feel empty, nothing. I wasn't on a high. I wasn't angry that I'd messed up something. Mm -hmm. I was just, I was numb to it all really. Mm -hmm. And my wife would come to the dressing room many times after a performance and would question like, did you get anything from that? And I think I was just so running on empty mm -hmm. that I just didn't have the capacity to you know waste energy on anything I purely had the energy to perform what I needed to perform at mm -hmm. that moment and mm -hmm. as soon as the curtain went down it was like the battery was taken out of me mm -hmm. and I would you know go back on to standby mode yeah. and sort of make my way through and then boom I knew I had to perform again mm -hmm. and that I just I remember having conversations with coaches and directors and stuff at the time because I knew it wasn't right I knew yeah. I knew something was out of sorts mm -hmm. at the time I was so confused by it I didn't know if it was my my love of dance was disappearing I didn't know how to translate what I was experiencing I didn't know how to process it mm -hmm. um, I now know that no th there was never a moment of losing the passion for it it was exhaustion mm -hmm. and I was malnutritioned and I wasn't working on my mental health enough you know mm -hmm. I wasn't focused on my general well-being I was just purely focused on getting the job done and the reality is if your general well-being is in a good place you're going to get the job done better but i just didn't have that i guess that maturity at that time um you get sort of caught on a a hamster wheel and that complete fear of missing out all the time you know in our industry it's that mm -hmm. no i've got to say yes and i've got to do it i've yeah. got to do it because if yeah. i don't somebody Someone else will yeah. and um the reality is when you do break someone else is going to do it anyway. So um, mm -hmm. I learned, I think I learned much more 
during the past two years with this, re, uh, you know, the reconstruction of my Achilles, I learned more about my early years of my career um, in those two years than I did actually in the, in those, the year yeah. of my early career. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And I think like something that I have had like dancers ask is kind of that feeling of burnout um, during the, your professional career, because I mean, I think dancers kind of get burnt out at different points in their life. And there's been time, you know, if whether it be months, seasons, yeah. years, um, yeah. and it does. You see it more and more now with young kids training. Mm -hmm. oh. You see it more and more in schools yeah. happening at a yeah. young age. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's, it's terrifying, but I totally, I can see why it's happening. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. the thing we need to change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of, yeah, I constant questions of young people asking how to cope with burnout. And it does worry me because these people are so young, like some of them will be like, you know, 13, 14, 15. And I'm like, you shouldn't like, you shouldn't be burnt out yet. Like you're only at the start of your life. Um, but like you just said, you know, eventually it does kind of lead to a breaking point, um, which I guess happened for you. How that whole reconstruction of your Achilles in the journey of the past few years in a don't have to go into so much detail, but like, how has that been on a general kind of basis, but also what have you learned? And I'll then kind of yeah. further probe you. <laughs> okay. So, um, before my Achilles snapped, mm -hmm. I'd had three surgeries in, uh, what was it? Uh, within 12 months, I had three oh, wow. surgeries in 12 okay. months. This was before my Achilles okay. because I was really struggling and we we're trying all these different interventions to correct it. Um, got back on stage after each one, filmed mm -hmm. Cats, did a cinema yeah. DVD recording of Myling, all of that in between surgeries. And I was in agony still. I was in so much pain. Um, after the third surgery, I was just so fed up um, and I was preparing to go back on stage to do Manon. Mm -hmm. I was in so much pain and I thought, and I had a meeting with everybody saying, I'm in pain if I dance and I'm in pain if I don't dance. So the, the, the scan that I'd had, um, it was 10 days before my Manon show, the scan showed that the Achilles looked okay. There was nothing to raise huge alarm. Um, so I said, well, if I dance, I'm in pain. If I don't dance, I'm in pain. So I might as well take the medication, take the prescribed drugs and, and do this show. I want mm. to perform. Why not? Mm. Um, got through act one and it felt like a miracle. I was like, okay, I've somehow done this act two. I relaxed, you know, I thought, okay, I'm in pain, but I might as well just start and try and enjoy some of this. Mm -hmm. And um, I do a lot of visualization and all that sort of stuff. I visualize how I want a show to go, but I also visualize on stage sometimes as well. Mm -hmm. Just before I do a step, I think that's how I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And obviously we all have these fantasy dreams, don't we, where we do the most perfect balance yeah. or turn oh, or whatever. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and um, there was this one particular step that I'd been working on with my coach and I visualized it and then did it and it happened on stage and I mm. went ah oh, 
Wow. <laughs> and literally the next step was just a tiny little jump. And I took off for that jump and my Achilles just went bang on stage, empty stage, just me, act two man on. Um, and I think the audience knew what had happened before I was even aware. I tried to step onto the leg. I tried to carry on. I thought I'd tripped on something. Um, and obviously didn't have a leg to stand on literally. So curtain came down, orchestra stopped. And then the poor audience could hear me screaming behind the curtain because I could see my Achilles had snapped. It looked like somebody had bitten a chunk out of my leg. And, um, yeah, then it's sort of like the world. I felt like I had this bubble put around me and then I felt like there was just chaos going on around me mm-hmm. because obviously it, there, there was, were there was yeah. there were a lot of people around sort of not knowing what to do and there was a mm-hmm. medical team there and my director and coach and stage manager and my colleagues and all that and um you know the reality is 20 minutes later I was carried back to my dressing room um, they'd put a boot on my foot already because they'd been on the phone to the surgeon and the curtain went back up with somebody else doing my role 20 minutes later. It was, um, that's the harsh reality of the profession. The show will Must, always yes. go on uh, whether you're there or not. And yeah. that's a horrible realization to have, mm-hmm. but that is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I then at that moment you know, still to this day, I'm forever grateful to my director, Kevin O'Hare, because he had to obviously ensure that the two and a half thousand people in the auditorium still got a show Mm -hmm. and, you know, they still deserve an experience. Mm -hmm. You know, they got more than what they bargained for that night. (laughs) Bit of drama. Deserve the show to finish. Mm -hmm. Um, But he managed to organize all of that, but was still within my eyesight the whole time and then was with me in the dressing room when the show continued on. And uh, it was only at that one moment that I openly said, this is it. Like, I will never dance again from this. This this is it, this is game over now. And he just looked directly at me. There were a medical team in the room with us and he said, no, 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 we will get you dancing again. You will dance again. And it was, that was the switch that needed to flick into mm-hmm. my head. So by the time I was in a taxi and had got home, my wife uh, was at home. She'd just given birth six weeks before to our third child. So she was now in a house with a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a six-week-old, and a husband that had just snapped in the Achilles. By the time I got to the door and was obviously on crutches and the mm-hmm. boot, um, it was already clear as day in my head that this is going to be the biggest challenge of my life Mm -hmm. but I am going to do this Mm -hmm. I will do everything that I have to do to do it Mm -hmm. even if it only means that I step back on stage once Mm -hmm. but I am absolutely going to do this Mm -hmm. and I'm just so grateful that he was in that room and just helped flick that switch in my head Mm -hmm. um of course, I had periods during that whole process, of course, where I was thinking, is this actually possible? Mm. But I didn't ever allow myself to fully acknowledge, I guess, 
the scale of the challenge I had set myself. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until two years almost to the day mm -hmm. that I stepped back on stage and performed Romeo again. Mm -hmm. um, that when the curtain came down at the end of Romeo, it hit me like a ton of bricks. This wave of emotion I had, I could probably count on half a hand mm -hmm. the amount of times I actually cried mm -hmm. in that two year period. I sort of went into that numb mode of I'm a machine, I am making this work and didn't really ever allow myself to feel mm -hmm. what I needed to feel. And when the curtain came down, oh, I felt it all. It yes. hit me oh literally like a tidal wave. And you know, I'm, I was stood on the opera house stage. Just, I wasn't like sobbing, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it was flooding. The tears were just flooding yeah. out of my eyes. I that I couldn't control it. I couldn't. Yeah, literally couldn't, stop it. I couldn't turn it off. Yeah. And that was finally the release that I allowed myself to have. And um, I think it was just the realization of we actually, my team and I really did, did achieve it. something that most people said was impossible. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I decided also that it, um, you know, it's very easy just to focus on the negatives when you're in any of those situations, mm -hmm. but I chose to think of it more as, okay, this is uh, an obstacle mm -hmm. and I'm going to find a way over it or through it or under it, around it, um, but it's def definitely not going to stop me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was more excited about what I was going to learn through that process mm -hmm. and the stuff I have learned about our industry, myself, my health. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a really sick and twisted way. I'm grateful that I snapped my Achilles because I, I needed to learn mm -hmm. a lot. And I just would not have learned any of that because mm -hmm. I felt like I was, I don't know. I felt like I was flying high. I felt like I was unstoppable, but I look at photos and I look like a malnutritioned 14 year old boy. And I was in my late twenties with two children yeah. and I looked horrible. I was mm -hmm. so unhealthy and it's just so dangerous what it does to you long-term as well. So mm. in a way it's like, I don't know, if, if you're religious or not religious or whatever, or believe in Greek mythology or whatever, maybe it was a Greek God or something, I don't know. <laughs> Some, something, someone mm -hmm. um, was looking down on me and said, no, 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 you can't carry on like this because yeah. you'll end up six foot under far too early. Yeah. And that's the reality. It sounds dramatic, mm -hmm. but God knows what I was doing to my long-term health working like that. Yeah. No, and I think... Hearing that, like I, so many relatable moments. Um, because I broke my uh what, my fifth metatarsal in my like in my graduate year, and it was kind of a similar in a situation where it was like in front of people, like a not really an audience in the same sense. Um, but I look back at that upon reflection and kind of am really grateful that it happened, even though. You, you know why would you ever say that you're grateful for an injury except yeah. that in a similar sense I've I've learned the most of that I've ever learned in that space of time from being off from you know 
how can I take care of myself better? How can I approach class differently? How can I, like so many things. Um, And I think a lot of dancers who, you know, are listening and are either injured now or have been injured or there's obviously a lot of fear around injuries and stuff like that because it is scary it's scary to be replaced it's scary to be out for so long it's it's really it's hard but I think hearing that and just also knowing like the fact that you're so open about your injury journey particularly on social media I think honestly like helps is so helpful for so many particularly younger dancers and even Mm. professionals because there's there's just a lot of fear surrounded by injuries and I think we need to break that down because (laughs) it happens I'm working on a documentary at the moment Mm -hmm. which I hope people will get behind it and support it we've just started a a crowdfunding campaign we need the support to raise the funding otherwise we can't make the full film and I'm very clear in the parts that we have filmed so far that we need to talk about these injuries because unless the profession changes, those injuries are going to keep happening. You can't expect us to be in peak condition all year round, six days a week, long, long, long days. Yes. And not expect us to break. That's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So whilst the profession isn't changing because the workload's not changing, it's just increasing, you're then going to have to educate people on how to how to conduct themselves when they are injured because mm-hmm. it's going it's a part of the profession it's it's the norm now to mm-hmm. expect to be injured um which i hope that will change i will do yeah. everything that i possibly can in the future to try and make mm-hmm. some sort of change because it has to but um i think right now particularly at schools um i'm very passionate about talking to them about the injuries and saying well it's actually normal you Mm -hmm. so it's learning um to use those moments and uh take advantage of those moments learn let yourself evolve um pick up a book stop Mm -hmm. thinking about ballet for a day you know do something else for a period of time it's um yeah it's looking at something that most people would see as a negative as an opportunity Mm -hmm. definitely um going I mean we will talk about your film in it in a bit (laughs) um but kind of going back into like what particularly you've brought up the fact that prior to your injury you were really not looking after yourself um and you weren't fueling properly and I know like you know you've you have posted a few things about your body changing um what that whole thing body image fueling how has that kind of journey you know been while being injured because obviously when you're injured your workload you know obviously significantly decreased um did you struggle with I guess not being able to do that did you struggle with you know with your body changing through your injury Mm. um I know I personally do when I was injured so I really relate to that and I know a lot of dancers you know, we're in a little untied, so it's inevitable kind of. Um, but yeah, what was that experience like? Well, we at the Opera House, at the Royal Ballet, we have quite a, a big medical team now. And yeah. I have to hands down say that being injured is far more exhausting and my workload is, it feels far more okay. <laughs> uh, right now than it is when I'm healthy because 
um, I am training all the time, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there were so many different um, sort of moments mm-hmm. throughout my recovery that there were big realizations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all so obsessed with how we look mm-hmm. and what we weigh and all this sort of stuff that I was so dangerously underweight, um, but unaware of it at the time, Mm -hmm. very unaware of it at the time. And throughout the reconstruction, well, actually before the reconstruction, so it was after one of my first surgeries, Mm -hmm. I was being tested by the medical team and um, I worked very closely with one particular sports scientist, uh, Gregor, and he was testing basically my, my power output. So I had to, I was hooked up to a machine and I would do some sort of, yeah. sort of you know, jump action or something. Yeah. And um, it would show the speed and the power output and all this sort of stuff. And we were achieving like good results, like climbing each week or every two weeks. And then the second I started to rehearse again Mm -hmm. um, alongside this training program, it didn't matter what I did. I could not hit the same levels Mm -hmm. because the body was being fried because of what ballet was doing to it. You know, your Mm -hmm. neurological system gets fried. I wasn't getting enough recovery Mm -hmm. between doing that session, rehearsing, and then the next day do the next thing. Mm -hmm. And the levels just started to drop and drop and drop and drop. And that to me, this was before my Achilles snapped. That to me was a big eye-opening moment because I thought, oh, I I thought I would be healthy. And I thought that doing the ballet would make me even stronger and all this stuff. And no, it was because of the workload. It was Mm -hmm. how much I was doing. Um, So that was really obvious to me that I had spent my entire career in this energy deficit. I was putting out more than what I was consuming yeah. and all this stuff, yeah. um, which obviously has knock-on effects mm-hmm. to your health. Then when I snapped it, I thought, well, I'm clearly not going to step back on stage for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Let's make these big changes. So I made sure that I was you know, really fueling properly. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put on weight. So I, I put on a lot <laughs> of weight. Um, at that point, I wanted to change my physique. I wanted mm-hmm. to, I wanted to look like a man. I didn't want mm-hmm. to look like a fourteen-year-old yeah. boy anymore. Yeah. And it takes a lot of effort to do that, but it takes a lot of fuel to do that as well. All these people, all these rogue teachers out there that think <laughs> if they get their ballerinas to squat, they're suddenly going to have these huge weightlifting legs. It's the most ridiculous mm. thing because I can tell you now mm. the amount of effort and food I had to consume just to put the tiniest bit of bulk on. Mm. It was huge, the effort that I had to put into. So these rogue teachers need to wake I up know. and smell the air. Uh, anyway, um, but as, uh, as to prove a point, actually, mm. at one point in my rehab process, it was sort of the biggest I'd got at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, my BMI said that I was technically um, obese or I was very overweight or something like this. Yeah. Because obviously BMI is the worst gauge in the world. Yeah. Um, so I did post about that and shared it because I thought people need to know this, you know, yeah. people get their GP and 
their whole health is assessed on their BMI. Yeah. Like the most ridiculous thing to assess you on. So yeah. um, I was very, very aware that I wanted to make those changes. Mm -hmm. But although I wanted to make those changes, I can honestly say that I didn't find it easy. Mm -hmm. I had a moment when I was um, back in the studio trying to do a bit of ballet, struggling a lot, mm -hmm. wearing my white tights without the leg warmers and all that sort of stuff. And of course, what I saw in the mirror was very different to the person I saw when I was much more unhealthy and not well. Mm -hmm. And it, it plays on your mind. It really plays on your head. You know, you start to think, well, actually, I don't like what I see in the mirror. Maybe I want to go back to the way I was. Mm -hmm. And I had to fight that in my head so much. I was grateful, still am grateful that I'm surrounded by people like Gregor, my mm -hmm. sports scientist that I work with and my physio, Richard, and, you know, that whole team. And, mm -hmm. you know, I worked religiously and I'm still working with Leanne Benjamin um, in the studio and she's coaching me in Romeo and stuff and just having those people around you saying no you look healthy you look good this mm -hmm. is you need to like keep going this way it's going to protect you and mm -hmm. all this stuff but it was there were still demons in my head fighting yeah. that I knew I was doing the right thing by trying to be healthier and all this sort of stuff but mm -hmm. There was a long period there where I, I didn't like the healthier, <laughs> the healthier look. Yeah. Um, now I'm loving the healthier look. I'm so much happier mm -hmm. to look in the mirror and say, okay, I look like a man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it doesn't take it away. You know, yeah. you, it only takes one badly educated comment to be thrown your way at a young age oh absolutely and that will affect you for life yes. and I was unfortunate to receive one of those comments um, when I had arrived in London and that still to this day mm -hmm. uh, pops up in my head probably once a day mm -hmm. um, because it really affected me I was never aware of my my physique or my body. And then this one teacher, she said this one particular comment to me mm -hmm. and it sort of made me spiral and it changed my whole relationship with and the way I fueled myself. And I, um, yeah, I get, I get really upset about that, <laughs> about mm -hmm. that. And that's why I'm, I think I'm also on a bit of a mission to really stamp out these rogue teachers that are yes. <laughs> still floating around everywhere because, yep. you know, that, that one comment that was made to me, um, was still, you know, I was still fighting that when I was on this healthy mission. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I'm still even thinking about it now, you know, I was in the studio yesterday and I was still thinking about that comment. So, um, yeah, there was huge, huge learning that went on and is still going on now, um, yeah. with, with my team. Mm -hmm. That's gosh, so much. Um, again like I'm sure what well, I felt really relatable and especially I guess like that these rogue ballet teachers but the comment you know and this is why it's so important to kind of well to have the teachers that are educated and don't make these you know unsolicited comments because they do stick with you 
and they probably don't realize that and fine but like I think we all have them um which is sad because like the fact that it stays with you for like you know could stay with you for the rest of your life um and is like a mind block for so many things yeah it's it's really hard and yeah so thanks for showing that because I hopefully any teachers um who are listening to this just maybe just have a little thing (laughs) a little think of how you word things um because it makes a massive difference on how yeah your students kind of interpret um I guess like coming out of that you know and changing your mindset how has getting back into it because I know you're working to do Romeo and Juliet soon and I know hopefully I'm would really like to come to the show so I'm looking I'm coming but how's that preparation been kind of you know coming back yeah so um so we're in now what are we we're January so my Mm -hmm. next Romeo is the next month in February Mm -hmm. and um I performed it last October yeah Romeo is probably the ballet I've performed the most in my career I was very young when I got my first shot at it um so it's kind of gone with me through my career which is Mm -hmm. a nice a nice thought Mm -hmm. um but building up to it last October um was huge because that Mm -hmm. was my first show back since snapping my Achilles uh Romeo for the man is notoriously one of the toughest roles to get through Mm -hmm. so many people thought I was absolutely mad to choose that as my first show back. back, Yeah. (laughs) But there was method in my madness. Mm. In my head, I thought, well, yes, it's one of the biggest roles for a man, but if I can get through that, then. Oh, exactly. Makes everything else seem a bit easier. (laughs) Um, But because I had performed that role so much, Mm -hmm. I thought there was also a bit of comfort in that as well. Yeah. So yeah, still, a few weeks before the show, it was very touch and go. We okay. did not know if it was going to happen or not. So mm-hmm. the fact that they did happen was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, soon after that, um, I then started to prepare for Nutcracker mm-hmm. and Nutcracker was just physically very different. It was mm-hmm. far more, um, it's all jumping. It's yes. just all jump, yes. jump, 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 jump. And built up really nicely and then two days before my first show my calf on the other leg uh was not happy it was mm-hmm. quite a, a bad strain okay. nothing before, but it was very bad strain it showed yep. on the scans and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff and the old me would have just forced them to give me prescribed drugs yep. and I would have just numbed myself and just mm-hmm. gone out there and done it mm-hmm. um but our uh, head of the whole ballet healthcare he has a huge history in sport and athletics and he just yeah. he for the first time ever I had somebody sit me down and say the risks are far too high mm-hmm. you have far more chance of doing severe damage than you will getting through the show unharmed mm-hmm. and he, he looked me in the eye and just said I don't think you should do this mm-hmm. And it's the first time I've ever had that. It's the first time I've ever had somebody say, stop. Yeah. Stop. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it. I said, you're right. What am I doing? Like, how could I have gone through this whole journey 
mm. and not learn from this. So I, um, you know, it, it killed me to say I'm not doing those shows, but I didn't do them. I didn't do Nutcracker, but, mm. um, you know, I did all the preparation. I knew I could do it. I run, you know, I run the ballet and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it was still part of my rehab journey. I'm, mm. I was able to do it, which is great. Um, but then obviously needed the time after that to let the calf recover and start yeah. again. Um, but so now it's exciting to revisit Romeo again mm-hmm. now that I'm a bit further down the road and I'm uh, in a little less pain than I was a few months ago I mm-hmm. feel a bit more free mm-hmm. so um, it's just encouraging I think because you start to think that certain levels of pain mm-hmm. uh, is going to be your norm yes. and you have those few little moments those breakthrough moments where you are more free mm-hmm. Um, I think it just sends out a bit of a, a message of hope that actually there are better days <laughs> ahead for all of us. You know, they're yeah. not all going to be great, but mm-hmm. there are still good days ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it's interesting to revisit it now. And uh, physically, there's still things that I can't do. Um, okay. Just going to take time. You know, mm-hmm. I have a whole new lower leg like that. Achilles yeah. not, that's not the Achilles I was born with. That's not mm-hmm. how it functioned for mm-hmm what 30 I was 30 nearly 34 when it snapped so yeah you know, that's a long time to live with functioning a certain way and then mm-hmm. to have to learn you know to learn how to walk again yeah not dance I had to actually learn how to walk again so mm-hmm. um I think it's just that realization that yeah maybe I can't do everything that I used to do at the moment mm-hmm. but it is coming back it is happening and there are so many ways around certain things that Um, it's just having, I guess, the open mind to say, yeah, okay, right now I can't do that, Mm -hmm. but I can still do this and this and this. And, you know, other things have improved since Mm -hmm. I snapped my Achilles. So um, it's not all compromise or doom and gloom. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so great to hear. Um, But like, you know, again, it's all part of the process of kind of being being injured and accepting that is so important, especially when, we feel like there's always, you know, we're missing out or like, oh, I've got to get back quicker. Like, you know, I'm sure, you know, you know, colleagues or even yourself when little injuries and niggles and things where you would have just pushed through or gone back quicker because, you know, well, obviously you wanted to, but it wasn't like a, you know, helpful in the long run. But Well, yeah, and unfortunately the world went into a a worldwide pandemic (laughs) right in the middle, well, yeah. I snapped my Achilles and then two months later, the world went into pandemic. So um, I did the first cool, first good four or five months of mm-hmm. my rehab was done on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So um, anyone who has snapped their Achilles will know that you need hands-on treatment because that ankle is just going to lock like cement. Yeah. And mine did. Mine just, because I didn't have treatment, obviously, for so long. So yeah. Um, yeah, I would I have got back on stage sooner? Maybe, mm-hmm. but um, the reality is a dancer, what is required of a dancer is just, it's obscene. If I was a footballer, yeah. I would have been back on the pitch a year earlier because I was jogging around, I was jumping around, I was fine. Yeah, okay. The reality of what a dancer is required to do, that mm-hmm. finely tuned control mm. of what you need to do, yeah. There was no chance I was ready to yeah. do anything after a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that def- that puts it into perspective 
of like one like how far you know you've come along your injury but also just how much ballet and dance takes out of you like as a you know as an athlete kind you know it's not exactly it's not just running around not just jumping there's so much more to it that takes longer even if you think oh like oh I can find I can jump I'll be able to do Grand Allegro today well it's more than that like it's so much more than that um and I know you know I've had friends that have kind of really gone back into it a bit too soon and it's it's hard to then see them have to then take a step back because yeah but it's great that you've had well obviously you've had amazing support through this journey and I'm sure everyone you know you know you're working with is you know they've been a big part of it oh definitely definitely it's been a huge team Mm -hmm. effort and you know I I made it no secret with my team that um that I was not going to always be the easiest person to deal with because you know if Mm -hmm. I want to do something I'm going to do it yeah no matter what Mm -hmm. um but I don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. So mm. I needed the whole team to be hands-on, heavily invested in it. Mm. Um, I know, and I knew that they would not have the answers to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't all have the answers, but I needed to have that, that openness with them to say, this is not working for me. Like mm-hmm. we need to change or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful that they all went with me um, on that journey because you know I had to say many times like this is not working mm-hmm. we need to stop like we need to change this or um, and I think that just says a lot about them that they um, they were open-minded enough to say that and to also accept that they don't have all the answers mm-hmm. yeah no definitely um, and I guess yeah no and that's just all part of it. That's because with the things like injuries and anything, there's there's never a one like a one size fits all path or journey to recovery. And yeah. it's all just kind of an experimentation of how it's going to work on different dancers. But again, yeah, so great that you had that support. Um, kind of going on to you know your film, A Resilient Man, and kind of I guess just so the listeners can get a brief idea I know I've shared some stuff and I know there's people would might have seen a few things here and there on social media but I guess in an essence how would you describe what this project is and what your aim of it is? So I have tried to be as honest and transparent about my journey from Mm -hmm. snapping my kiddies to getting back and all the things Mm -hmm. I'm learning uh, but also about the things that I want moving forward mm-hmm. to change and evolve. Yeah. So um, this wonderful filmmaker, French director, Stéphane Carell, contacted mm-hmm. me and wanted to make a film about my journey. Mm-hmm. And so his vision is not a typical documentary where it's just interview, talking to the camera. Yeah. Uh, he creates artwork. He creates mm-hmm. beautiful film, mm-hmm. uh, which that inspired me as well. So... We would tell my story, but it would be beautifully put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will also be a vehicle to highlight my discovery throughout mm-hmm. the process, but also the things that I hope we'll learn from those mm-hmm. discoveries. 
Mm-hmm. It's obviously about my profession, which is dance, mm-hmm. but the underlying message behind it all is of inspiration and resilience and mm-hmm. you know determination and um, you know not seeing an obstacle um, yeah. as you know a barrier. Mm-hmm. And so I want the sporting world, the business world, I want them to watch it and feel driven by it you know Mm -hmm. feel this extra spark of motivation I I want their hairs to stand up on their arms when they watch it Mm -hmm. so um, the reality is that the film won't get made if we don't get enough support uh, in these early stages so they've Mm -hmm. just started a crowdfunding campaign so anybody can go over to my Instagram page and find all the links there Um, so hopefully we'll get enough support to uh, continue filming the next chapter mm-hmm. um, so that then we can have the full funding in place to, re- to, you know, to release it. They want to do it as a, a cinema release, um, as a proper full length feature film. So that is the aim. I want to shine a light on this profession. I love the profession. Mm-hmm. Dance is just the most incredible art form. It's universal and you know, I can perform anywhere in the world, not speak the language and can totally connect with that audience Mm -hmm. literally by standing still Mm -hmm. so um, I want I want more people to experience the dance world but this film will show them so much more than just the pretty shiny side that you see on the stage this is showing them Mm -hmm. not behind the scenes because we've all seen behind the scenes this is showing the truth yeah, you know, this is showing actually the real this thing. is the reality. This is not like a glossed over behind the scenes where yeah. you've got limited access. <laughs> this is the real deal, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I just hope it uh, inspires people from all walks of life in whatever mm-hmm. they're doing. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. And I will leave the link down below in the description of this episode. So anyone listening if you're in a position to donate to the crowdfunding then definitely do because I mean I think everyone wants to see this film and I think not even just dancers like it's something that the world has an idea of what ballet is and what it looks like I mean and it's so much more than that so I think this is a really great you know project for education as well um kind of also going on because you are very passionate about how the profession needs to change Mm. and I completely relate and that's literally what the backbone of this I guess podcast is all about because I grew up thinking that you know I don't know briefly just I was thinking like oh my gosh I'm just hearing all these I guess glossy stories of dancers who have trained at the top schools and have gone straight into the company and their life seems so easy and I was like I how like how am I, I I don't relate to this and I didn't feel there was a real and raw version of it that obvi- I know but now I know obviously there is and that's kind of what this space has all been about but for you how what do you want to see kind of change and I don't know like how how are you going do you want to be a part of it how do you intend to be part of that change yeah well when I was just about to be made principal. Mm-hmm. I started a business degree. Mm-hmm. So I completed a business degree. Um, and then 
actually when the first lockdown happened. So mm -hmm. it was while I was filming Cats and then obviously I snapped my Achilles as well. Mm -hmm. I, I did a master's degree in marketing yeah. and I did both of those degrees with the view that I want to be part of this profession and be part of moving it forward. Mm -hmm. So the business side was obviously to just learn a little bit more about the ins and outs of you know, yeah. day to day, how, you know, mm -hmm. it's fine to have a great artistic vision, but if you don't understand all mm -hmm. the elements to it, then that vision will just be lost. Yeah. Um, and the marketing essentially is what we need to know as mm -hmm. the dance world. We need to know about our audiences. We yeah. need to know what it is that they're attracted to, what they want, what mm -hmm. they're, um, what, what are they going to invest their time and money into yes. coming to see? And if you don't understand your audience, doesn't matter how great your artwork is, yes. no one's going to see it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was sort of the, the reasoning behind it. Mm -hmm. Now that I've had this experience as well with mm -hmm. the health and the actual, the actual culture that goes with the profession, yeah. I would love to be able to combine all of those elements together. So mm -hmm. fundamentally, there's a focus on our health at the moment as in, you know, training, strength training and mm -hmm. our nutrition and all that sort of stuff. Essentially though, those that are investing their time in this training mm -hmm. because they're doing it for their health and their longevity, mm -hmm. they are essentially just increasing their workload though, because companies are not facilitating time within the schedule for those sessions or for that time to be invested in your health. Oh, yeah. So essentially, <laughs> people are just doing more work. More work, yeah. They're just expending more energy. <laughs> exactly. So that has to change. Mm -hmm. um, recovery is just a word that gets thrown around, like, oh, recover well tonight. Yeah. <laughs> How is that person going to recover? They've got off stage at 10.30. By the time they've showered, got home, it's probably it's midnight. Yep. Are they going to eat anything probably at midnight? Probably not because they're going to be in class at like, what, 10 o'clock the, the next morning. morning. Yeah. And so realistically, that recovery is just non-existent. You, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're not going to ask a marathon runner to get up the next morning and just keep bashing it out. Like you're not going to ask a footballer after a match the next day to go straight to the training ground and do a whole yes. hard session. They're going to have recovery mm -hmm. scheduled in because they know that actually investing in recovery is making that athlete better. Mm -hmm. So we need to change that mentality that actually recovery needs to be scheduled into it. It needs mm -hmm. to be medically informed. We know that there's a limit to what our bodies can take and, um, you know, I could literally sit here for hours, yeah. and talk about that, but there yeah. are just fundamental things that need to shift and need to change. And mm -hmm. the excuse of, well, it's just impossible to fit everything into the schedule. Um, mm -hmm. that excuse needs to be erased yeah. now because yeah. this is, this mm -hmm. is the way forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you didn't have to answer this question, but I'm intrigued because I don't know, like, would you ever be interested in kind of going down the route of being like a director is that something that <laughs> interests you yeah of course I, I I love this profession and it has transformed my life and I want 
the dance world to transform more people's lives. I want it to, I'm not saying everybody is going to become a dancer, but I want dance to have an impact on people's lives. It can inspire them. It can, it can uh, point them into new directions. It can just, it can just motivate them. It can open their eyes to so much. And I think we've still, you know, we've still sort of got our blinkers on of, who it is that we're targeting with yes. our productions and um, dance dance is as I've said it's a universal language it's mm -hmm. it's primal like we all it's yeah. all within us it's just yeah. that's just nature and I think we forget about that sometimes mm -hmm. definitely um okay I feel like we've had a really we've covered everything um <laughs> thank you so much for your time um, my pleasure is there any last words that you kind of want to say before we round up the episode? <laughs> uh, well, I get asked all the time, like, what was it that as a young age that you like thought, yeah, I really want to do this. And mm -hmm. I genuinely can remember those first lessons with my jazz teacher. And, you know, she would say, jump as high as you can, spin as fast as you can. You'll mm -hmm. probably fall over and we'll all laugh, but then you'll get back up and we'll all keep going again. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was a tiger unleashed. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a very shy kid hiding behind my mom all the time. And I can feel that feeling still. And when mm -hmm. I'm having those moments of what am I doing? I'm in so much pain and I'm like freaking out about this show I've got to do or this or that, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I just try and tap back into that feeling. And so I think I would just say to anybody listening, find one of those moments that you can clearly think, God, that's what I love about dance or that's why I do, like that's why I'm pursuing dance or, mm -hmm. um, or even this is, you know, this is what I wish dance was just have something like that in the back of your mind every now and again to remind yourself because we're all striving for this non-existent perfection. And, you know, I can hand on my heart say, you're never going to achieve perfection because it doesn't exist. It yeah. just doesn't exist. Um, so focus on what it is that you are just, you know, passionate about and that surely is going to push you through to the next, the next goal. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that. And that's, I'm going to, I'm going to take that forward when I'm feeling mentally stuck. So, and I think any, anyone else listening, those words are for you too. Um, yeah, great. Before we round up, just, I mean, yeah, where can the listeners find you if they don't already find you already or like, yeah, any website, anything, any links, anything. Yeah, so um, my Instagram page, uh, Stephen McRae over on Instagram is, the easiest way to sort of mm -hmm. see the latest up-to-date stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the Royal Opera House website obviously has my dates on there and shows that I'm performing in. Um, but yeah, social channels, just you can find me there. Um, never be afraid to reach out. I always try and personally respond to as many people as I possibly can. No one runs my accounts for me. It is purely just me. So um, don't ever feel like it's a silly question or a stupid question. There's no such thing. Mm -hmm. um, I will honestly try and respond to, to as many people as I can. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, thank you so much to everyone who tuned into today's episode. You can hear me same time next week. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode.
And thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on. Um, yeah. My pleasure. No Take worries. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>